We've been singing about love. We're going to talk about love. Jim and Sarah Wilkinson have been married for 50 years as of yesterday. And Sarah's usually on the internet right there worshiping with us. So congratulations, Sarah and Jim, on this great milestone of love, faithfulness to one another through these 50 years. It's a great testimony and witness to everybody married in the room. Amen? We want to make that milestone too. We've We've made our commitment to the one that we love, and we want to keep that commitment. So it's very exciting to hear something like that. And I have been talking about love all summer. This is the last message where love is the central theme for a while, although I hope I keep love in the center of everything I say and do. I hope it's the middle of my life. I want it to be. Jesus said that, Loving God, loving neighbor, that's the summary of all the law and the prophets. So, Lord, make us great lovers. uh, Next Sunday, I'm going to start a five-part series on the competencies that we strive to achieve in the ministry of First Baptist New Orleans. They come right out of the text, right out of the Scripture. They are upon our hearts. In some ways, they distinguish us as a congregation of believers called to minister in this city. And I hope that you will be here through September as we look at these competencies that we want to surface and and express through our lives. We worship with our lives. We gather to go to the need. We teach to transform. We disciple in motion. We embrace the future. They all flow out of the love of God and the determination as a congregation to express that love to one another, to love one another as he has loved us, to our neighbor, to the stranger, even to our enemy, to go beyond these walls with the love of God. Today I want to go to John 17, where Jesus is praying for us. We've already noted that John, the apostle who writes this gospel, and who wrote 1 John, of course, John the Beloved, that he identified himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And he alone records the high priestly prayer of Jesus, which is the longest prayer of Jesus recorded in the Bible in John 17. So we are allowed to enter a most sacred moment in the Savior's life as he bears his heart to the Father on the eve of his crucifixion. And he starts out in John 17 praying for himself. And then he starts praying for that inner circle of disciples. And he says, I'm not praying for the world. But for those that you gave me out of the world. And he prays passionately for Peter and James and John and Andrew and Matthew and all 12 of them. And then in verse 20 of chapter 17 of John, he turns his prayer to us. My prayer is not for them alone. 
I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one, Father. Just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. That is Jesus' prayer for you who have believed through the message of the apostles by reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, hearing the words of Jesus from these eyewitness accounts. You believed the message through the testimony of the apostles. Jesus prayed this prayer for you. Jesus has a vision for the future. I heard a vision of the future when I watched the closing ceremonies of the Olympics in London. They played the song by John Lennon, Imagine. They put his face up on the big screen. While they were singing the song, they assembled this huge architectural structure of his face in the center of the arena, which at that moment was the center of the world. And they sang John Lennon's vision of the future. Now, I mentioned him two weeks ago and his quote, I really thought love would save us all. John Lennon's vision of the future of the world runs something like this. Imagine there's no afterlife, no heaven, no hell. Imagine there's no private property, no possessions, no need for greed or hunger. Everyone living every day, living in peace, sharing the world, one brotherhood of man. And he invites us to join him in this image of the future, which he has. It's an image of the future that is contained here on planet Earth and among humans 
like you and me. Jesus has an opportunity to cast such a vision as he prays. He has an opportunity to pray for world peace, for one brotherhood of man. He has an opportunity in his prayer right here, right now, as he prays with intensity to the Father to express a heart that looks like that. But he doesn't. He doesn't pray for world peace. In fact, he says, I do not pray for the world, but for those you have given me. He doesn't even pray for one brotherhood of man. Jesus has a different vision of the future than John Lennon. John Lennon's view was secular of this world, not using the word in a pejorative sense, just built from the Latin seculum, which is of this world. That's the end. That's all there is. The here and now. If everybody will just live for today, it will make a happy, peaceful world. Jesus' vision of the future is far different. Love of the Father changes the center of your life. Maybe the here and now is capturing you so thoroughly and completely that you cannot see beyond it. Maybe all you can see is the stuff of this life and the third rock from the sun which you call home. But not for Jesus. The Father loved him before the creation of the world. In this prayer, Jesus prays for himself, then he prays for the circle of disciples, and then he drops back even further, and he prays for all those who are going to believe, and you can see him as he looks at the expanse of the globe and the expanse of humanity on the globe through the generations to come. And as he prays, he envisions life beyond the here and now. A geography that transcends this planet. He was with the Father in the beginning, before he became man as Jesus of Nazareth. And from that perspective, he envisions the future. And he prays. He envisions not just time, not just the here and now. He envisions eternity. When Jesus draws a vision of the future, he talks about, in my Father's house, there are many mansions, and he envisions us in the rooms in that mansion. When he sees the future, he see the, sees the Father's table and a great banquet hall. And all those folks who are part of the family of God seated around that banquet hall. When Jesus envisions the future, he envisions not annihilation. Not your last breath, your last heartbeat, and suddenly there's nothing more of you. When Jesus talks about the future, he talks about a judgment that is to come. He talks about heaven 
and hell. See, Jesus of Nazareth did not have a secular view of the future. He viewed the future in terms of eternity and the Father's house. Jesus taught that people are made to live forever and that people either receive eternal life or eternal death. And he draws it out in parables and his teaching. And if your vision is limited simply to this planet and simply to this time, then you're not seeing the world as Jesus of Nazareth saw it. In John Lennon's view, Humanity is in the center of his vision of the future, but not for Jesus. Jesus has a different center for the future of the world. Meek and mild Jesus, who lays his life down for us at the cross, who says the first shall be last and the last shall be first, who says if you want to be great, be servant of all. Jesus has himself in the middle of his vision of the future. Do you pick that up? He's in the middle of his vision of the future. He's sending his disciples out into the world so the world will believe in me. You say, well, is he egocentric? Maybe he's just caught up in himself. If you ever saw self-importance, what if your vision of the future had you in the middle of it for all humanity in the universe? Why would Jesus cast it that way? He cast it that way because it's the truth. It's how the universe is configured. He is fully man as he prays this prayer, but he is not merely man. He is also God incarnate. And he has the perspective of eternity as he prays this prayer. And Jesus says these things before Abraham was, I am, I am the bread of life, I am the living water, I am the resurrection and the life, because these things are eternally true. Whether you believe them or not, they are true. In him all things consist. He is before all things. In him, all things hold together. He is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature. And he upholds all things, the writer of Hebrews says, by the word of his power. It's not egotistical for God to be the sinner. It's the truth. And if you come to him, You must come to him not as the imaginary God that you are making up, not the God that is a figment of your imagination. You must come to him as the God that he is. That is the one creator, sovereign Lord who made it all and rules over all and before him you will stand one day. If you don't come to that God, the God that is, you're coming to the idol. You've made up for yourself. Thus, Jesus puts himself in the middle of his vision of the future because that's the way it is. And that's who he is. And one day, the only question that will matter for you 
is, what did you do with Jesus? Who is called to Christ? God made you. He breathed his life into you. He gave you life. He sent his son to rescue you from the sin you know you commit. The sin problem you have in the back of your mind every day. He sent his son to rescue you from that. What does he ask of you? Believe in the one I have sent. Jesus is the center of the future of the world. I hear people that are so discouraged as if the world is going to hell in a handbasket. Let me tell you where the world is going. The world is headed toward Jesus who is King of kings and Lord of lords. And one day every knee will bow, every tongue confess, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's where the world's going. That's where it's headed. Hey, that's why I'm a Jesus person. I believe in Jesus. I want to work with everybody who has goodwill in their heart. I want to see more peace on earth. I want to see more brotherhood among men. I do. But I tell you, in the end, it's trusting him and him alone that rescues the human heart from sin and secures an eternal future with the God who made us. It is the disciple John and Peter along with him who said there is no other name. Salvation is found in no other When you are focused in Christ and he is the center. When you are locked into his love for you and you are seeking to love him back. When this relationship is the center and dynamic of your life. You have the motivation, you have the strength, you have the inspiration. You have the direction to go out of these doors and change your world. Now you know how it's done. Now you know where to call your friends and fellow employees to. Now you know what you're up to in the world. The world is headed toward Jesus. So in every way, every day, if I can exemplify him better and more fully, and if I can draw my office and my class toward the qualities that he exemplifies, then I am bringing in the kingdom. And when I trust him, I see the kingdom everywhere I look. I see his activity in my world. And I know he's working. So when I show up for work Monday morning, I am an agent of the kingdom. A lover of God, knowing he loves me. Empowered to do his work in the world. Love changes the center of my life. Love changes the relationships of my life. God is using you to change the people who are connected to you. Do you believe this? 
All right? It's true. God is using you in the, in the life of that husband and that wife. God is using you to change the people that are connected to you. When Jesus envisions the future, he does not see down the generations all these lone rangers going about their tasks in the world, mumbling to themselves, I'm the only person that cares. No. He is unleashing a group of people in the world. He is unleashing his church in the world. He sees them together. He sees them working together, doing the work of the kingdom together, united as the Father and he are united, and he prays for this unity to be there in their hearts. He prays for complete unity. Have you ever experienced such a thing? Complete unity? He wants his church to be brothers and sisters who love one another and are invested in each other's lives. That's what our Bible study ministry is about, is you investing in the life of those children or, the, or those adults that are part of that class. That's what life groups are about that we are starting this time. It's about you connecting in life and learning and love with people who are part of the family. So you know every day you're not walking this road alone. And when you get in trouble, you have people that you go to and who pray for you and care about you and know about your life. Brothers and sisters, I wish over these years I've lived on the planet and been a follower of Jesus, that the church of Jesus Christ had been more honest, more transparent, more willing to say what is on its heart, more willing to be authentic and genuine in the time of prayer and the place of prayer. To really share life with one another. Too often we put on the mask and we parade around the church. And the last people we want to know that we got a problem is those people at the church who also have all their masks on and parading around as if everything is fine. Hey, I'm the pastor. I know what a mess we are. I know what a mess we are. God knows what a mess we are. He knows the challenges and troubles we've encountered, the sorrows of our life. And if we'll be honest with one another and really share life together in these weeks and months to come, if we will bear our hearts to one another, we will find an incredible strength to be his church even when we're broken and need healing. To be his church, knowing our imperfections. There are too many people who give up on being the church when things get tough for them. They stop praying when the hardships come along. They neglect the word of God. They neglect the house of worship. They pull back instead of pulling pulling in when the pain comes. Jesus says, Father, those people that are going to believe through the testimony of the apostles, pull them together 
in a oneness and unity. Why? So the world will know that you sent me. So the world will know. Love changes the center of my life. Love changes my marriage. Love of God as a priority, as the first thing in my life, changes how I relate to a husband or a wife or my children. Love changes the dynamic at work. Some of you are self-conscious, and it's hard for you to strike up a conversation. And when you get in a social setting, you sort of pull back, and it's hard for you to be yourself. You're intimidated by new people and new faces and things that are going on. And I have a suggestion for you in the middle of the new class you just entered as a 6th grader or a 12th grader or a freshman at college. I have a suggestion for you. When you walk around on that campus in that school, I want you to say to yourself, step by step, moment by moment, day by day, Lord, help me love these people. Help me love them. Help me love my classmates. Help me love these employees that are new to me. Help me love this teacher. God, help me love them. And just stay tuned in love, connected that way to everybody new around you. And when you enter into conversation, don't worry about how you're coming off. You love them. So how are you doing? Are you adjusting to the new situation in our class? Do you like the teacher? An interest, a genuine interest in the person that you're face-to-face with is the outcome of a genuine love. To really care about them is to change the conversation from how am I coming off to are you okay? How are you doing? I'd really like to know you. I think our deficiency often in connecting to people is we forget this basic teaching of Jesus. We are to love one another. We are to love our neighbor. We are to love the stranger. And an attitude of love toward everybody in your life will change the dynamic of your relationship. It will be powerful. It will be powerful in your business. It will help you relate to customers, for heaven's sakes. It's the most practical, transformational thing in the world to do. To care about the person you're looking at. I mean really care. If you do, won't be long, maybe a month or two, before at that new place where you're working, somebody's going to come to you and say, hey, I just want to let you know I, I got a problem. I thought you might be a person who would pray for me. This life of love, Peter recommends to the spouse who is married to an unbeliever that may be hard and difficult, He says, hey, let your behavior so reflect the image of Christ that even without words, it will draw him into the circle of God's love. Even without words. Love changes the relationships of my life and love changes the message of my life. They're going to believe in me through your message. Every life has a message. Your life has a message, okay? You're telling people things in all kinds of ways 
about what you understand the world is and the priorities of the world. When you get in conflict, people watch you. When injustice happens to you, people watch you. When there is difficulty and trial in your life, people are watching you. Why? Because they want to know the real message of your life. We can speak the words, but do we live the message in the situations that come up in our lives? Love for Christ, the love of Christ, changes the message of my life. Jesus says, I want my followers to go into the world and so care for one another, so exist in unity together that the world will know that I sent them and I love them. Now, Jesus here develops a concern for the world. Up to now, when he used the word world in his prayer, it was either sort of the earth. In fact, at one place, he uses the word earth and world together in his prayer. Or he's saying, I'm not praying for the world. The world is that wicked, evil system that we've talked about earlier, that John talks about. But here, he develops and prays about the world knowing that he was sent by the Father and the love of the Father is in his disciples. And that's the world of those who are watching, potential believers. Folks out there in the world, we don't know who or how many, who will hear the call of God, hear the good news of Jesus Christ, and respond. Now, let me tell you one thing about the church that distinguishes your individual message as a believer in Jesus from the message that is so often heard in the world. Okay? Gospel means good news. Heard any bad news lately? Ever feel like you're being overwhelmed by bad news? You ever avoided listening to the telecast of the news, local news so as not to hear all the bad stuff and just quit reading the paper because you didn't want to hear it? Do you know about bad news? The world hears lots of bad news. You know what thrilled me coming back to New Orleans? The first time I was in New Orleans, I was in the bad news business. And when God called me back, I was a reporter for the Times-Picayune, General Simon's reporter, chasing ambulances, writing those stories about all the disasters and trouble. And God called me back to this city, not to do bad news, but to do good news. Hey, we got good news for a world that really needs good news. Don't be the bad news bearer in your office and your family. If you turn into that person who's always the bad news, moly, grubbing, what's the world coming to person, you have not successfully emulated the Lord Jesus who everywhere went talking about the good news of the kingdom. Yes, it's bad news that people are sinners, and I'm reminded of it every time I turn on the television or read the newspaper. 
But the good news is that Jesus sent a remedy for our sin. He has fixed our sin problem through his death upon the cross. He calls us to repentance and he loves to forgive. This is good news to every human being on the planet. Jesus prays for us as if we are sent into the world. He says, as the Father has sent me into the world, so send I you. I know some of us are new in New Orleans, and that's good. We're glad to have you new people in our schools and our businesses in New Orleans. We're delighted to see you. If you are a believer in Jesus, we know for sure that the Father above has loved this city and the people in it by sending you here into the businesses and schools of this region to live out and speak forth the good news of Jesus Christ. You're sent out as his ambassador. I hope you feel like you're on a mission because you are. You're on a mission. You're carrying good news to people out there. That's one of the reasons that we meet people at the point of their need. You know, at Jefferson Healthcare, where so many people are amputees, it's good news for them just to hear somebody came to pray with them. Somebody came to sing. Somebody came to hug their neck. It's good news. It's good news to that homeless kid that showed up here last week that he's going to get a really good meal. Miss Virginia's wonderful chicken on Wednesday night for free because God's people in this city love him. And that's good news. It's good news for that kid in the ninth ward struggling with his grades that there's a tutor from First Baptist who's going to help him out. It's a good news for that administrator at Divert that there's a church in this community that loves these kids and they can call us up and we will help them out. That's good news. It's good news all over the place that there are folks with a heart of love who want to meet you at the point of your need and help you learn to read help you learn English in a world where you need to know it. Give you a way out of the trap that you're in. We are the good news bearers, the kingdom seekers in the city of New Orleans, carrying our message to people who need to hear. Love changes the center of my life, the relationships of my life, the message of my life. I manage things differently. I set new priorities. I react differently to hardship and trouble, knowing Jesus and seeking to represent him in my world. Hey, what's up with you, follower of Jesus? Are you ready to lend your strength to the work of that is most rewarding in the world. Are you ready to adopt the vision of Jesus, not only for time, but for eternity? Not only for now, but for heaven. Are you willing to see things from his point of view and so represent him in New Orleans?
Let's bow together. Somebody here has never trusted Jesus as Savior, although you've thought about it. You've known about Jesus perhaps, but you've never committed your life to him. Jesus said to Nicodemus, you can't see the kingdom unless you're born again. And we're born again by placing our faith in Christ. So if you've never trusted Jesus as Savior, never been born again by the Spirit of God, would you just pray where you are, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. Please forgive me for my sin. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me and rose again the third day. And I give you my life from this time forth to do with as you see fit. I want Jesus to be my Lord. Would you make that prayer to him, committing your life to him? If you are a follower of Jesus, but you have not been following close, you've been a long ways off, maybe you've just been kind of wondering, would you pray this prayer? Lord Jesus, today I present my body a living sacrifice unto you. That's my reasonable worship today. And I ask you to transform my mind so I see things as you see them. Use me for your glory in my city. God, here we are as your people, gathered in the house of worship, seeking to submit to your word. Help us say yes to the call of the Spirit on our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.